They all told me to get a college football podcast, so I did. I'm John Harris, Football Takeover. It's time for Football with Friends. Yes, sir. It is great to be with you for episode number two of Football with Friends, my footballtakeover.com podcast. I am John Harris, owner, proprietor, talker, writer, video guy. I don't know. I do. I dabble with video. Hopefully, we'll dabble with video here on the site of footballtakeover.com, but hopefully, you're checking out the site, trying to keep it updated as much as possible. Been doing more podcasting, trying to get this thing going more than anything else in week two. Man, how about a little bit of news? First of all, how about this big news coming from my good friends at Lone Star Sports Entertainment? This is the Football with Friends podcast, footballtakeover.com, brought to you by the Texas Bowl right here in Houston. My good friend David Fletcher and LSSE have been so very kind to jump on board and be part of Football with Friends podcast. And obviously, Texas Bowl will be late in December. SEC and Big 12, that's the matchup. Now, we heard this week at some point that you could have no wins and go to a bowl, but I think where the Texas Bowl is situated, we could have a couple of really good football teams or at least some intriguing matchups with some of the coaching chains that has been there in the SEC, be it Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, be it Mike Leach at Mississippi State. Um, and who knows what you end up with on the Big 12 side. Could be an Iowa State led by Matt Campbell and quarterback Brock Purdy. So really excited about what I've got going with LSSE and the Texas Bowl. So make sure uh, that you check it out, LoneStarSportsEntertainment.com, LoneStarSportsEntertainment.com. They are my partner here with the FootballTakeover.com podcast. This is the Football Friends podcast in partnership with the Texas Bowl. Now, we're going to dive into my predictions later in the show. I do predictions. Last week I did it for all games. This week I'm going to focus on just a few games, in particular the SEC. We'll focus on the Big 12 and the ACC's. Got some matchups as well, but this is kind of the first, I would say, full weekend because now you got the SEC involved uh, in this mix, and so that's really, really good to see. Another piece of news that's great for this week is that Rondale Moore has opted back in for Purdue University. He did not go get an agent, and so he was allowed to hop back in, and so hopefully we will see him back on the field. I have heard there are others that did sign with agents that would like to opt in. I don't know how that's going to go, but this year in 2020, all bets are off, man. All bets are off. If a kid didn't know that they were going to play, opted out, went and got an agent, so he thought that was the wise thing to do, but then the conference says, oh, yeah, we're going to go play, they should allow him to go back and play uh, at that particular moment if that player chooses to. So um, that's that would be that would be my thought on the matter. But either way, some players are starting to opt back in, and I maybe buried the lead. The fact that the Big Ten and Pac-12 have both decided to come back. You're even seeing Mountain West Conference come back and potentially, potentially, the Mid-American Conference, the MAC, coming back. Man, getting Maction back in 2020, oh my goodness. That would be unbelievable to get some Maction back. I'll tell you this quick story about the MAC. And it has something to do with the MAC, but kind of not really. So 
I heard about this guy that played wide receiver, a guy that I followed when he played at Tulsa, Brennan Marion, really good wide receiver that played at Tulsa. And I've been hearing things, whether it's on Twitter or talking to other coaches, and they were talking about a guy who was the offensive coordinator at William & Mary a few years ago. And they've been talking about this offense that he runs, and it's a little different. And if he's the offensive coordinator at Howard, when Howard went out in 2017 and upset UNLV out at UNLV, and this offense was unbelievable. And so Brennan Marion became a name that I started following. Well, I saw something pop up on social media the other day about Brennan Marion, and it was this long article, and it kind of told his story, and I was like, I'm fascinated. I've got to try and get him on the podcast. So, Brennan, if you're listening, we'd love to get you on a podcast. Well, I tried to find that game on YouTube because I was not in the building to get it from our film department, but I did find the Kent State versus Howard game. And I turned that game on, and I watched that game almost all the way through. I didn't, I didn't get through it because I had to go cook dinner or eat dinner, one of the two. But either way, I started watching this game of Kent State and Howard, and I saw more offensive innovation from both teams than I have seen in a long time. I was enamored watching both teams and what they were doing on the field that day. It was absolutely unbelievable. Brennan Marion on his side and what he, as the offensive coordinator of Howard, Kent State, you know, a team that should trump Howard in a, in a big, big way, being a Mac school, but showing a lot of really creative stuff and playing one of the Holly brothers at quarterback who ended up, I believe, with the Roughnecks here in the XFL. And he really wasn't a quarterback, but what they were doing with him really didn't have to read a ton of defenses down the field too much because all his guys were wide open because they all expected him to run. It was one of the more fun games to watch, Kent State versus Howard in 2017. Talk about learning some offensive football. My goodness. So I, at that point, I had to... I had to follow Brennan Marion, so I did. He followed me back. So maybe he'll pick this tweet up, and he'll listen, and maybe we can get him on a podcast and talk about that go-go offense, man. Holy smoke. So maybe we can get Kent State playing again, and we can watch a little bit uh, more ball. they got a quarterback, Dustin Crum, who is a guy to watch in the future. So hopefully the Mac will come back. They've always got some really, really good players that are moving on to the next level. Uh, Dustin Crum could be one of them at quarterback for Kent State. Uh, Kuntz, outside linebacker at Buffalo, whose first name escapes me right now. Uh, but, man, you talk about some explosiveness off the edge. And, oh, by the way, University of Buffalo has had a really good player come to the NFL over the past few years. And he's not alone. Jarrett Patterson, running back, is going to be a three-year starter. Uh, so hopefully the Mac can get on the field and give those guys an opportunity to play a season. And then hopefully at the end of it, have an opportunity to move on to the NFL. So speaking of moving on to the NFL from college, I thought for this podcast, episode number two, I would bring in a good buddy of mine that I've known for a long time, covering the draft. He does it for The Athletic. He is Dane Brugler. And if you haven't seen Dane's stuff or you haven't read his stuff, you got to know this about him. For me, you know I'm very particular about who I will read, what I will read, who I will listen to, whose opinion matters to me. And there are very few that fall into that category. I'm, I hope I'm that person for you, I hope, and that's why you're listening. But Dane Brugler is that guy. He is one of them. Uh, you know my man Lance Erlon's another one. Daniel Jeremiah I love to listen to. Those are three of the guys that I absolutely love to listen to that do such a great job with their draft coverage. And Dane and Lance have teamed up for a podcast. I guess they kicked me out of the room, and Lance doesn't want me to be his friend anymore, but I digress. It's a great, pro it's a great podcast. Go check it out, Prospects to Pros. 
podcast. I've done about four episodes. I'm just getting it cranked up, and it's going to be really, really good as the season wears on. With the SEC starting on Saturday the 26th, I thought this would be a great opportunity to get Dane in and talk about draft prospects, talk about what you learned from studying prospects uh, in the past. But I had to start here because I am, every single day, the opportunity to see Deshaun Watson at work. So where exactly did Deshaun, Mitchell Trubisky, and Patrick Mahomes fall for Dane back in 2017? And what did that draft teach him, if anything else? This is a really good podcast. Check out Dane Brugler from The Athletic. All right, Dane, I live in the building here with Deshaun Watson. He was drafted in 2017, and he is one of the three quarterbacks that were taken in 2017. When you look back at past drafts, you look at that one in 2017, how would you go back and look at that draft, how you had it ranked at the time, and maybe how it's turned out with those three quarterbacks in particular in that draft? Patrick Mahomes, who obviously has an MVP and a Super Bowl MVP, Sean Watson and Mitchell Trubisky with the Bears. How did you have it that year in 2017? And has, have these three guys surprised you in any way with what they've done thus far in the league? Well, I mean, I think you have to be surprised by what, what Pat Mahomes has done. I mean, uh, he's arguably the, the best quarterback we've seen the last you know, decade. With, and he's only getting better. He's not in his prime yet. So uh, yeah. what Pat Mahomes has done is just revolutionary. Uh, the way he plays the position – and when you go back and look at it, you watch it because I, I liked Mahomes. I had a like an early second round grade on him. Obviously, that looks yeah. stupid now. Uh, <laughs> but you know, he, when you go back and watch him at Texas Tech, he's just playing backyard football out there. Yeah. Like he he really had no idea what he was doing. And I think that's that speaks to um, you know I think for those of us on the outside, how you know we're kind of at a disadvantage because we don't get to sit down with these guys and find out. Okay. Yeah. How's their mind work? How are they wired uh, at the quarterback position? It's it's such an intangible position. You know, so much of it is above the neck and not just what you can do, uh, you know, with the with the ball. And, you know, we knew Mahomes, the physical tools were there, but, you know, could he read a defense? Could he yeah. uh, do all the things that's required of the position? So I think that, you know, speaks to what he's done. And then with Deshaun Watson, um, you know, I – I did not give him enough credit. Um, and, you know, I think hindsight is always interesting when, when it comes to the draft. But, uh, you know, Watson is just he's such a leader. And what he was able to do from a conf- confidence perspective, I mean, he doesn't matter what's stacked against him. He just has a way of making plays uh, using his athleticism, using his arm, using his mind, and did not give enough credit for that. And I think I gave too much credit to Trubisky with how I thought, you know, he could really develop. One-year starter, obviously, uh, you know, a, a guy who was just kind of in the infancy of playing the position. You thought, okay, this guy's ceiling is, is something that could be pretty pretty impressive. And unfortunately, just hasn't gotten to that point yet. Now, I, I think Trubisky is too much of a, a pinata, uh, you know, because he hasn't lived up to either Mahomes or Watson. But just right. in a vacuum, he's been a solid NFL quarterback. And I, he's yeah. playing like it this year in his fourth year. So – um, you know, that's, that's the long-winded answer of saying I, you know, did not accurately have those quarterbacks ranked uh, with, <laughs> with how they performed. But, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a learning, uh, a chance to learn because these guys are three really interesting test cases and yeah. three, three really good quarterbacks. Dan, at that point, because I know 2008 for me, a long time ago, but mm. I famously here in Houston did not like the pick of Dwayne Brown. 
at left tackle. Mm. I mean, I even made the comment. I was like, if he goes to the Pro Bowl in five years, I'll eat my shoe. And <laughs> how that night taste. Bu- yeah, exactly. And I got into the building and I got to meet Dwayne and we talked a lot about that day. And I was just not a huge fan, but that that taught me a lot about not only just left tackle, but it t- those things that you talked about, a lot of the intangibles and things that go with analyzing players at particular positions. And, you know, that was, that was my with Dwayne Brown. I mean, I just completely, and it changed the way that I go about looking at offensive linemen in particular, but just in looking at various positions, have you had a situation like that where there's been a player maybe, or a couple that you looked at and went, man, this is what I missed on that guy. And I won't miss it going forward because this analysis really kind of taught me something about what I need to be looking for, what the league is looking for. Have you had, had, ever had a situation like that where you sort of said, boy, I see why I missed him. I need to change this in my analysis going forward. Oh, sure. And, you know, I think it's just being an evaluator, the most important thing that you can do is be a self-evaluator. And you have to understand, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's great when you hit. That, that's fun. But you're going to have misses. There's no way around. It's just like a, a hitter in baseball. It doesn't matter how good you are. You're going to strike out. Uh, and yeah. so that's what do you do to tweak and get better and improve and just make sure you have a solid batting average because you're not going to bat 10 for 10. You're going to have right. some misses. But it's still important to learn from those. And yeah, I mean, you could, I think each year, and that's part of my process personally, is after each year, kind of going back to the draft three years prior and understanding, okay, what did I get right? What did I get wrong? And how can I improve? Why did I miss on these guys? Uh, and why did I get the guys right? And so that, that helps shape, because the NFL is constantly evolving. You know, the Absolutely. players are looking for, the offenses, the defenses, the scheming, the play calling, it's constantly evolving. So you have to change with the times and understand what works in today's NFL. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's a big part of it. I mean, I think when you, I look at my own personal misses, you know, whether it's you know, not having a high grade on, say, like a Le'Veon Bell, I think I had like a fifth round grade on him coming out of Michigan State, uh, you know, just did not impress me. He goes in the second round and, you know, he's he had such a productive run there with the Steelers. Um, you know, understanding that, uh, you know, a player that it maybe didn't have the workout numbers, maybe didn't always look explosive on tape. But when you look at the foot quickness, you understand uh, the vision and understanding where that hole is opening up. When, when you're a running back, and we talk about quarterback decision-making, we don't talk enough about running back decision-making yeah. and understanding, okay, anticipating those holes, understanding blocking schemes, understanding where the defense is and how they're aligned and where, the, where those holes are going to be. That, that's such a big part of it. And I think the other thing, too, is just understanding what these guys were asked to do in, uh, in college and understanding that maybe they weren't really good at one thing, but when you ask them to do something different, uh, you know, all of a sudden that's, that, that brings out uh, some of their talents. And so understanding what they were doing at the college game, understanding what they're asked to do at the college game, uh, I think is a big part of the evaluation process. And I think to that end, Dan, you bring up a great point, And that is when you do your analysis, you do it for 32 teams. Right. When a right. team is doing its analysis, it's looking at a particular number of players that could fit that one scheme. And so mm-hmm. in some sense, your job is 32 times as hard because <laughs> you're trying to analyze, well, where does this guy fit? Whereas the team right. says, can this guy fit for us? Yes or no. And if no, then they, they move on. Uh, yeah. And you bring up, bring up a great point. This year's class, and you mentioned running back. And I look at this year's class of running back and 
it, it, the running back has been one that obviously has changed through the years. We're seeing, you know, on Thursday night, we saw James Robinson at Illinois State yep. step up and do things for the Jags, which bothers me because we got to see that guy twice a year. So we're seeing different successes at running back. Not, you're not seeing a lot of guys going to the top 10, but guys that do go in the top 10 do pretty well. Christian McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott, et cetera. As you look at the running back class this year, Chuba Hubbard, Travis Etienne, we have not seen Najee Harris yet for Alabama. We will see him this weekend. What do you like about this running back class, and who are some of the guys that you look at and think, this guy I think could be an immediate impact player at the next level? Yeah, well, I think yeah, we have to talk about Etienne right off the bat because he's just such a unique athlete. Um, his ability to make full-speed cuts – at any point in his runs are just so impressive. Uh, that yeah. immediate acceleration is what really gives defenses trouble. Um, you know, he's got decent size. He's not just a track guy out there. I mean, he's, you know, 212, 214. Um, and I, as time has gone on, he seems like he's gotten a lot tougher. Um, he runs with uh, a little more power than I think you'd expect. And the biggest thing with ETN is just getting better in the passing game, both as a blocker, as a pass catcher, um, mainly a screen guy. But hopefully we see that evolve this year, become a little more uh, involved as a, as a pass catcher, whether, you know, he's uh, put in the slot, he, uh, you know, asking him to run a little bit of routes. We'll see. But, I, I mean, he is a dangerous, dangerous player anytime he touches the ball. And uh, surprise, he came back for his senior year. He already leads – uh, you know, has more rushing yards in Clemson history than any other player in that program. Set the ACC record for touchdowns. Uh, so the, the resume is outstanding. Uh, but he came back because he wanted to be a first-rounder. And so we'll see if he can improve on some of those details uh, that could get him in the first round. And then the other running back that I personally really love is Journey Brown uh, at Penn yeah. State, who we haven't seen yet. We'll see here in a few weeks when the Big Ten starts ramping up. This guy is so physically impressive. Uh, doesn't have the expensive re uh, resume just yet. Uh, not like a Travis Etienne. He doesn't even have a thousand yards rushing in his career. Uh, it was kind of part of a, a running back by committee last year for Penn State. But then down the stretch, they really kind of let him loose. And uh, you see speed, you see power, you see balance. Just so impressive. Um, and so, what can he do now uh, as the full-time starter? Can he take that game? Uh, take his game to another level and, and prove that because he has first round talent. It's just a matter of, yep. you know, proving that he, he belongs in that range. So those two guys are my, my two favorite running backs. Um, and then a running back who I'm really intrigued to see this year, also in the big 10, who, um, you know, not a first or second round guy, but third, fourth, fifth round, somewhere in that range, Trey Sermon, who former yep. Oklahoma running back, grad transfer to Ohio state, one of the best screen running backs um, I evaluated this summer. Uh, just a, a really talented player. So I'm eager to see what he can do in that explosive Buckeye offense. Yeah, I can't wait for the Big Ten to get back and see Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. And then a third guy, I wish we would be able to see this this year. Dane, I want to get your thoughts on the quarterback at North Dakota State, Trey Lance. Mm -hmm. He's a guy I've watched probably three or four times. And every time I watch him, I just walk away with something new that I've learned about him and watching. But he did that as a redshirt freshman. Yeah. And so he's going into what could be his last year at North Dakota State, but then they move to the spring. How difficult do you think the evaluation becomes for Trey Lance if he doesn't play in the spring? Or how do you look at Trey Lance with all that's going on with North Dakota State not playing till the spring? And the fact that he was so good as a redshirt freshman, does it make it more difficult or – are you locked in to think, now, look, this guy doesn't need much more to prove to me that he can go play in the league. Where do you sit on Trey Lance from North Dakota State? 
Oh, I mean, this is unprecedented. I mean, just like a lot of other things going on in the world uh, right now, but it's, he was so good as a registered freshman. I I think he was responsible for 42 touchdowns. He had zero interceptions, but I think full context with him, obviously he's playing at the FCS level. So he's facing a lower level of competition. And you look at that North Dakota state offense is just a well-oiled machine. They averaged like 45 rush attempts last year uh, per game. Meanwhile, uh, Trey Lance averaged about 17 pass attempts per game. So they didn't, ask him to just be the guy and put everything on his back and uh you know be he was just more of a you know a a point guard where he could uh you know kind of and that's how you should be as a redshirt freshman you know you right. shouldn't be asked to uh be the 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 clear leader of that type of team but i mean you see the natural talent he looks like a a slightly bigger maybe not quite as accurate version of Kyler Murray uh, who yeah. of course yeah. was a number 1 overall pick and taking the league by storm right now because he can stress out the defense with his arm, with his legs. He can just do so many different things uh, out there in the football field that, yeah, I mean, you're right. Every time you watch him, you come away with, oh, wow, you know, he can do that, huh? Or, wow, he, the way he can change his arm angle or, yep. uh, you know, the way he can, uh, you know, throw these different routes, whether it's, you know, it's an out route, uh, it's a bang eight. I mean, whatever you ask him to do, he can do. It's just, we don't have the sample size. Uh, we don't have the consistency. And so, only one season. I mean, with maybe they play one game this year. Uh, we'll see in the fall. I, but then, yeah, I mean, he has a tough decision to make. I mean, his you, you could argue his stock is never going to be higher. I mean, if he goes back right. to school, throws his first interception, are we going <laughs> to say, oh, wait, maybe he's not as yeah. You know, are we going to critique him like that? So it's just a really, really uh, interesting situation. I think for Trey Lance, he just needs to do what's best for him. And if he feels ready – then go, you know, but if he's not ready and, you know, we talk about Pat Mahomes not quite being, you know, ready in terms of reading defenses and all that. What if Pat Mahomes goes to the Browns or a team that did not have a coaching staff in place, like an Andy Reid where, you know, in the culture and everything like that, would talent trump all of that? And would he be able to overcome, you know, what if Pat Mahomes goes to the Jets where, you know, Sam Darnold seems like a really talented guy. He just can't, can't get uh, you know can't break through because the offensive line because the coaching because the yeah. receivers so with Trey Lance uh, you know you just have to hope you go to a right situation that's going to allow you to sit and learn because he, he there's so much that he just doesn't know right now and it's no fault of yep. his own he's a young player uh, and so hopefully he if he does come out he does declare I think he'll be a first round pick it's just about a matter of going to the right situation where they can bring him along at his own pace and you know because I, I think his ceiling as a player is uh, really really high. I think people forget a lot of times when you ask about Patrick Mahomes, they'll say, yeah, he was the MVP in his rookie year. It's like, no, he sat for an entire yeah. season right. before he was, he was thrown to the fray. Deshaun was thrown to the fray the very first game in the second half, even though Bill O'Brien was trying to hold him back a little bit. And Mitch Trubisky played uh, as a rookie a little later in the year. Pat had the whole year. He sat behind Alex Smith, and that was, that was probably, as he said, as good for him as, as anything you know, could have yeah. been. So I'm really, I'm really curious. I, when I watch him, and when you look at the numbers and you see, man, he had over 1,000 yards rushing, you think, oh, he's a one-read-and-run guy. Mm-hmm. And then you watch him manage the pocket and do things, and you're like, wait a second. No, that's not what he is. This guy can make every throw you're asking a quarterback to make in the NFL. I'm really intrigued uh, by Trey Lance from North Dakota State. Dane, this weekend, the SEC kicks off. And it's an odd year because I tend to think the best – 
draft prospect, at least heading into this draft, because I think the best prospect is probably Derek Stingley, but we got to mm. wait a while for him. I think the best prospect would be Jamar Chase, yep. but he opted out. For whatever reason, and I've said this a lot for a long time, Dane, I will not ever, when a kid opts out or decides to go to the draft, I will never criticize him for that because who knows what the reasons are. Sure. Agent, family, whatever it might be. He was tremendous last year. Did Jamar Chase need to play this year to be a top 10 pick in your estimation, what you saw of him on film last year? Due to his opt-out this year, we won't see him. Do you think he did enough last year to be a top 10 pick? Absolutely. I mean, I, don't, I, I honestly don't know what else he could have done. And some guys, uh, you know, we, we know after their freshman, after their sophomore <laughs> year, we, we know what they are. I, there's yep. little else. And that's, that's, not the, that, that's rare. I mean, most of these guys could yep. really benefit with another year. I mean, like Justin Fields. I was really conflicted with, you know, with the Big Ten canceling the season and, you know, because Justin Fields is so talented, but he really needed yep. that another year um, in, in that Ryan Day offense and, and everything. And obviously quarterbacks a little different, but even like a Rondell Moore uh, from Purdue yep. who opted out, uh, now opted back in. But he missed almost all of the 2019 season with an injury. He had one of the best freshman seasons we've ever seen. But still, only one year. I really would have liked to see him uh, play this year to be a downfield threat. Can you, you know, do some different things that we haven't seen yet? And now we get that opportunity to. With Jamar Chase, he showed everything that you wanted to see last year on that tape. And with Joe Burrow gone, with with Brady gone as the play caller, uh, with so many of the offensive line, you no know, Justin Jefferson. I mean, I do not blame him at all for opting out, whatever his reasons are. I don't think yeah. that there was much he could have done to elevate his stock any more than it is right now. Um, I mean, the more you play, the more you can get better. So, you know, but I, I think where he is right now, he is uh, in a good place to go to the NFL and push for an immediate starting job, an immediate role, and make an immediate impact. He, he is ready. And, and so I, I think you're right. Jamar Chase, uh, he is actually my second highest rated SEC player going into the year. Um, but, uh, he's, he's a guy that we won't selfishly. I wish we could see him this year, but, uh, yeah. unselfishly, I, I don't blame him at all for making that decision. Okay. If he's second, who would you say is number one? I, and I had Jamar Chase four overall on my very yeah. early top 50 board. Number three, I had Patrick Sertain, uh, the second oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. corner from Alabama who, you know, his dad obviously was a pro bowler in the NFL uh, and a really good player. And I think his son could be even better. So I think he has the chance to be a, a top 10 pick and maybe even better than, you know, a, a Jeffrey Okuda who we saw go third yeah. overall last year. I mean, he's a really talented player. And so uh, definitely excited to see him on the field this weekend. Alabama takes on Missouri and a guy that I'm really interested to see and study a little bit more because we talk about all these different positions that have changed in college football that then bleeds up to the NFL. And it really kind of took home for me a few years ago when you're watching Devin Bush, who you look at and go, man, he's right. 5'11", if he's lucky, maybe 220, but he's going to be a starting linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers for a very, very long time. I'll get a guy like Nick Bolton. Linebacker yeah. at Missouri, who will get tested against Najee Harris and Alabama offense. Where do you see a guy like Nick Bolton, who when you see him on the field, he's shorter in stature, a little smaller, but man, there's an explosiveness there with him that I love to see. What do you think about the other side, the Missouri Tiger linebacker, Nick Bolton? I'm a big fan. Um, I, I came in with – he was at number 20 overall on my board yeah. uh, going into the year, which I know is high, but I, I'm, a, I, I'm buying in. I'm buying all the stock that I can. He's a, 
he's just a fun player to watch. I mean, you can see, uh, you know, he, he has a passion for running around and just hitting whoever is the football. Um, and it's, it's controlled, but at the same time, it is explosive. Um, he, and he is not just a downhill player. He can drop. Uh, I, he was like tied for the team lead and passes defense last year. So he's a guy that can find his landmarks, uh, find the passing lanes, get his hands on the football, smart player. And it's so tough. I mean, this guy is, uh, he does not let up at the contact point. I mean, he, he gives it everything he's got, loads up behind his pads, and he makes you feel it. So uh, just an easy player to appreciate play of the game. And I think he fits today's game very well because he's an any down player. You don't have to worry about taking him off the field. I do wish he was a little bit longer um, so he could take on blocks a little bit better and uh, disengage, but he is still strong at the point of attack. So I, I'm a big fan of Nick Bolton and what he offers. And so it's, this is a, a pretty, there, there's some pretty uh, impressive linebacker prospects yeah. uh, right now in college football. And he's definitely towards the top of the list. Yeah. And in that game, hopefully we'll be able to see Dylan Moses playing for Alabama. Exactly. Who's returning from the ACL, uh, a guy who has been a much valued player dating back to his days in junior high. So hmm. I, I'm really curious to see those two going at it. Some, uh, dueling number 32s. Dane, last year, there was a lot of talk about the wide receiver position with CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. The receivers were off the charts, three in the first round, and it just all the way throughout, it felt like there was a receiver everywhere. I mean, you look at the Rams, and they drafted Van Jefferson, gosh, I want to say it was day three at some point, and he's given them contributions as a rookie early on. When I started diving into this class last spring, and I started looking at what could possibly come out, I'm like, man, this class of receivers coming out could be even better than what we had in 2020. This group could blow your mind. And you mentioned Rondale Moore. The receivers are sort of all over the place. You've got some big 50-50 catch guys. You've got some running, you know, catch and run guys. You've got some slot types like Rondale Moore that can do a lot of things. You've got some weapon X's in here that can line yeah. up anywhere on a field. It feels like this wide receiver group could be as good. Now, obviously, those guys would all have to declare. But if the majority of them do, are we looking at a class that could rival or even better last year's class? And we talked about Jamar Chase, but how do you look at this receiver group? Is it as stout as I think it could be? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think unlike last year, we also have a stud in the top 10 with Jamar Chase, which last year we yeah. didn't really have that. We had right. some really good, uh, you know, first round receivers with, uh, you know, Ruggs and Judy and CD Lamb and Justin Jefferson and Ayuk and on and on. So, uh, the talent was there, but we've got a, a verified stud with Chase. And then I think, you know, Jalen Waddle, uh, how does he develop this yeah. year for Alabama? Because he's so fun to watch with the ball in his hands. Uh, how, how does he develop uh, at LSU with no more Jamar Chase? Uh, you know, Justin Jefferson's no longer there. Uh, Terrace Marshall is a guy that I think could really yeah. uh, take his game to another level. I gave him a second round grade just off last year's film. So now with a, you know, an elevated role, how does he do? And can he, you know, maybe get into that first round? We'll have to see. Uh, you know, there, there's, I mean, we could really talk about receivers for an hour because there's so many guys to yeah. cover. Amon St. Ra, or Amon Ra St. Yeah. Brown at uh, USC. He's in that yeah. second round mix. Uh, Tutu Atwell from Louisville. He's that, that Hollywood Brown uh, type of receiver where he's vastly undersized, but you got to catch him first. Um, yeah. yeah, Rondale Moore. Uh, yeah, he's, he's mostly been a slot guy, but I think, you know, he's stout enough where, because uh, he's short, but he's he got yeah. a little bit of a running back build to him. I think he could play outside a little bit. Uh, doesn't have a ton of targets down the field, but I think it's just because Purdue says, well, why would we? We can just, you know, give him quick hitters yeah. underneath and he can take it the distance. Yeah. So 
you know, I, I think he can do those things. But then, yeah, Devontae Smith from Alabama, who's, you know, 175 pounds soaking wet, but uh, good luck finding a tougher receiver uh, in this class. He's a lot of fun. Uh, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, uh, another uh, guy with first round uh, aspirations. And so, I mean, yeah, we, we could talk on and on about this group. There's a, it's a lot of fun, a lot of high ceiling guys. Uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's going to be fun to see, you know, how, especially with a lot of these guys opting back in Rashad Bateman, Rondell yeah. Moore, uh, you know, what kind of season they can have and see if they can maybe even uh, make this group even more impressive than we think right now. A guy that is intriguing to me, and I'm not totally sure where I sit on this, Dane, because he's had an injury history. Now we've mm -hmm. seen guys, I know Frank Gore is the first guy that steps up because he was hurt all the time in college and then has played until his son got <laughs> to college. It's been amazing to see his, right. um, his longevity. But a guy that is really intriguing to me is wide receiver Sage Sherratt out of Wake Forest. Yeah. 6'3", 215, a big dude that can go up and get it there's a lot of different things that he can do I as I watch him I'm like okay I could see him in certain offenses I could see him in some other offenses okay some maybe not as much so I'm a little bit on the fence and I really wanted to see another year from him to kind of just solidify in my mind how I felt about him but the receiver from Wake Forest Sage Stroud who did opt out of this season what are your thoughts about him going into this draft a bigger kind of 50-50 kind of guy what do you think about Surratt you know, the 40-yard dash it this can way. be – Which which Surratt gets drafted earlier, Sage or Chaz? That's a good question. Uh, I would lean Chaz, the linebacker from North Carolina, who's, uh, I think, a better athlete. And just – he's made that quarterback to linebacker transition look easy, yeah. which is pretty impressive in its yeah. own right. So, I, I do think Surratt will be – Chaz Surratt will be, say, a top, a top 60 guy. And then Sage Surratt – I think it's going to be more of a top 75 guy. So I think it'll be close, but I would give the slight edge to, to Chaz. With Sage, I think it just so much is going to depend on the 40-yard dash. And yeah. that's, you know, right or wrong, that's just how it's going to be because, you know, wide receiver, just like, you know, corner, the 40-yard the, the dash matters a little bit more. And if he goes out there yeah. and runs a 4-5-8, you know, that's, that's going to be tough to overcome uh, for him because he's going to be a, a guy that's going to struggle to separate. That's not, what, that's not his game, though. He, his – his game is getting physical. His game is winning those 50-50 balls, creating some of that late separation. So I, I think that there's a place for him in the NFL, but, uh, you know, it's, he's going to be dinged throughout the process, and it, he's going to have yeah. to show that he maybe, you know, he, ha he has some of the, that polish, some of the, the details of playing the position so he can create his own separation versus NFL corners because it's not going to be able to – he's not going to do it with speed. He's going to have to do it in some other ways. And I think he can. It's just a matter of proving it to NFL teams that he can do it. Yeah, no, no doubt. Dane, every year we go through all these prospects and invariably you run into a guy that maybe other people aren't talking about and you've watched three or four games on a guy and you're like, man, people are missing the boat on this guy. What is going on? And you get what I call a man crush <laughs> on a player. You're just like, oh, I love this guy. Logan Wilson yeah. was that guy for me last year, linebacker oh, yeah. from Wyoming. Wyoming. I know we're early in the process. But is there a guy that maybe is off people's radar screens? You gave us Jelani Tovai from Hawaii yeah. going into the draft a couple of years ago. You were the first person I saw that was talking about the linebacker from Hawaii, and he ends up going to the Lions in the second round and is finding his way on the field for the last couple of years. Is there a player sort of off the beaten path that you're starting to gain a little bit of a man crush on? 
Yeah, and, you know, it's always hard with this because I don't know how many people are on you know each player. Uh, but yeah. I, I D'Angelo Malone, uh, pass rusher yes. from Western Kentucky. Uh, you know, he's a guy that's really – he's such a, an amazing athlete. Uh, and that's really what makes him such an impressive player. He was a wide receiver in high school, made a late transition to pass rusher, gets that uh, scholarship to Western Kentucky. And he's – as he's developed, I mean, he's really taken his game to another level. Uh, through, I just did a piece on him on The Athletic. And you can – I posted some All-22 clips where you can see the different moves that he has – now, he's only 230 pounds, and that's the biggest question yeah. is, can he hold up versus the run? Can he set a hard edge? Uh, you know, what, does he have to move the linebacker, more of an off-ball type of role? Uh, I mean, these are the questions that NFL teams are having. But as an athlete, he's phenomenal, and he is going to yeah. blow up the combine in his workouts whenever he has a chance. Um, and he's just a really fun player. I, I, he just snuck into my top 50 uh, as kind of a, you know, like number 47, 48 overall, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's a necessarily a first round guy, but somewhere on day two, I do think D'Angelo Malone will be drafted. And I think he's got a chance to make an impact because of that athleticism. But when I turned on his film this summer, I'm like, whoa, holy smoke. He can move. And for me, being in this building, we saw a guy come to us um, from Temple by way of the Seahawks. He got here is yeah. Jacob Martin, yeah. who came in here light, mm-hmm. but rushed the quarterback. I mean, we needed to have him. Well, over the summer, he put on 21 pounds, and now he's out there playing the run a little bit better. Now, it's not perfect, but that's the kind of guy that I look at D'Angelo Malone and think he could be. Mine, I know people are going to start to talk about him because he does go to the University of Texas, but Joseph Osai can play mm. any linebacker position, I think, on a field. Um, I, I love watching that guy. The bowl game, outstanding. But the game against LSU is really where he kind of popped off the page like, dang, 46 is all over the place. And I, I really like Joseph Osai from the University of Texas. He's going to be – He's probably the he'll gain, I think, more first round if he decides to come out. He's only a junior, but if he decides to come out, I think he's going to get a lot of run to that same end. I think he's going to go to the combine. I've heard he can just he can just tear it up at the combine. So um, I think that's going to be fantastic. Dane, your podcast. I got to ask this before we leave. How many times has Lance been late to the podcast? <laughs> Every uh- time. No, no, I would. It, it, I gave him a little bit of a pass because he we do it right after his show, <laughs> so you know it's it's not quite as as easy. So you know, I give him a little bit of a pass, but no, it's it's been fun. Prospects of pros. Hopefully, people check it out. It's uh, yeah, uh, been doing a lot of fun doing it with Lance, and, and we're just kind of uh, we've only done what four shows now, so we're just kind of you know cooking and seeing what we come up with. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, you guys. I mean, I've known Lance forever, known you for a long yeah. time. There's no better podcast to have. You two talking ball, man. It's really, really cool, and I'm glad you guys got together to do it. Um, but just give him a hard time whenever he's late. He's been late to everything <laughs> his entire life. Uh, so just just give him a hard time about that, the fact that he has shown up on time. He's probably trying really, really hard to make a good impression. Um, <laughs> but uh, some, something will happen at some point. Daniel, the absolute best, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll hopefully get a chance to talk some ball down the road, brother. Anytime. Can't wait. Thanks, John. That guy is the absolute best he could have talked about any prospect I threw at him some of the ones that I've been following this summer I love that he brought up D'Angelo Malone I love this guy and he does remind me as I said a lot of Jacob Martin who has done some really good things with the year and some change that he's been here with the Houston Texans so I am really really excited about D'Angelo Malone I'd like to see him put on a little bit of weight but at that point you kind of want to see everybody put on a little bit of weight. Eh, some guys you want to see weight taken off. Tyler Shelvin, ah, that was a guy I wanted to ask him about from LSU who opted out. That guy's got to maintain his weight.
or that's going to be a problem. He didn't maintain it going to LSU, but he got it under control at LSU, and that helped make him a big-time player. All right, this is the first weekend of the SEC, so I figured, you know what? I need to get my SEC picks down on paper or podcast, if you will, and see how it goes. Let's do that. We will start off at Auburn, where Bo Nix steps into his second year as a starter for the Auburn offense. He's got some speed with him, Anthony Schwartz. He's got some size with him, receiver Seth Williams. He's got a lot of ammunition to go against Kentucky, one of the more surprising teams with some big-time talent. Quentin Bohanna in the middle is a house. He is very difficult to move, and Auburn will have to find a way to run the football against that Kentucky defense. Auburn favored by 7.5 over the 23rd-ranked Kentucky Wildcats. I think Auburn, with some of the COVID things they've had go on, they've missed some practice time, will get the win, though, just not more than 7.5. Give Auburn the win, but give Kentucky the cover. Then, also, at 11 o'clock Central Standard Time, University of Florida goes to Ole Miss. Kyle Trask, the entrenched starter, really for the first time, since junior high for Kyle Trask, they will take on Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss Rebels and wearing the powder blues. Oh, they're so sweet. They're so nice. Now, Florida will struggle a bit seeing Ole Miss's offense for the first time, but Trask will get it rolling. The offense will find its groove in the second half. Florida is favored by 13 and a half on the road. I think lay those points take the Gators to win by 14 or more. Florida gets a win and knocks Lane Kiffin down a peg in his first SEC game since he was at Tennessee back, I believe, in 2009. Your 230 game is phenomenal. Mississippi State and the Mike Leach era begins in Death Valley. Oh, boy. Now, the LSU Tigers are ranked sixth to start the year, but we know what they're missing. You heard Dane talk about it earlier. No Joe Brady to help the offense. No Joe Burrow, no Clyde Wurzy-Laird. Lyman, gone. Receivers, gone. Jamar Chase opted out. Defensively, they've lost some as well. Kari Vincent in the back end. That's going to hurt LSU. But the thing about facing a Mike Leach team is you can go back and watch whether he's at Kentucky or Oklahoma's offense coordinator or at Texas Tech or Washington State. It's the same offense. Can you stop it? I think LSU will they will stop it enough. But K.J. Costello and the Mississippi State offense with Kylan Hill at running back are going to do enough good things offensively to put some points up on the board. They won't win this game, but they will get in f- inside the 16.5-point spread. LSU with the win at home. Mississippi State with the cover of that 16.5-point spread. Georgia goes to Arkansas and poor Arkansas. This schedule is murder on them. Georgia? going to be very interesting. Jamie Newman transferred to Georgia, then opted out. He was going to more than likely be the starting quarterback. It looks like it may be JT Daniels, a transfer from USC. We'll probably have to find out game time as Georgia takes on Arkansas. Georgia favored by four touchdowns by 28. Normally I would say, man, that's way too much. I just don't know what this Arkansas team is going to be with Sam Pittman. I do think Arkansas will run the ball much better than they have in the past few years. Of course, Sam Pittman being a former offensive line coach with Rakeem Boyd at running back. I like him a lot. 
Is it enough to get inside the 28? You know what? I'm going to roll the dice and say yes. I think Sam Pittman does enough to get it inside 28 for Arkansas, but Georgia's going to win that game on the road. I think this is going to be the story of Arkansas's year. Play it close, play it tight to most teams. Some are going to blow them out, and if they stay healthy, they'll stay in games. I just don't think they're going to be able to beat Georgia, so give Arkansas the cover, Georgia the win. Six o'clock game, very nice. Alabama taking on Missouri. You heard Danny and I talk about this earlier. Nick Bolton, star linebacker from Missouri, taking on an Alabama offense that will be led by Mac Jones or Bryce Young. We saw this a few years ago when Jalen Hurts was at Alabama. They started the game with Blake Barnett. The second quarter in came Jalen Hurts, and then he was the starting quarterback for two full seasons after that. We'll see what happens with Alabama. They're favored by 28 over Missouri. Eli Drinkwitz is like, let's let it fly. He's just got a say la vie sort of attitude, and I think that's going to work. It's going to keep the Tigers loose, but unfortunately, it's going to get them an L. That 28 is pretty rich, but I don't know how Missouri is going to stop Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, and Najee Harris, not to mention Brian Robinson backing up Najee Harris. That offensive line for Alabama is way too good. I'm going to give Alabama the cover. This feels like a 41-10 sort of ball game. Let's give Alabama the win and the cover of that 28 on the road at Mizzou. 6:30 game, Tennessee, a team that everybody's been talking about this offseason. Garitano taking over as the full-time starting quarterback. Tennessee has been the flavor du jour defensively. Uh, Henry Toto is going to be an exceptional linebacker. South Carolina starting a new quarterback. How will that play for the Gamecocks? There might be some mystery in that for Tennessee, but I think when it's all said and done, Tennessee will get that win. No line on this game as it was taken off the board, I would believe, by Vegas for who knows what reason. So Tennessee to get the win on the road at South Carolina, and they get the season started off 1-0. and And then your final game that night, starting at 6.30 in College Station, number 10, Number 10 ranked Texas A&M Aggies taking on Vanderbilt. Aggies are thought to be able to do something this year. This is their year, and I got to agree. I think the Aggies are going to play very, very well this year. Offensive line's got experience. Quarterback's got experience. they got a three-headed monster at running back featuring Isaiah Spiller, Ania Smith, who can line up a lot of different places, and true freshman Devin Achain, who can also line up at a lot of different places. They've lost a bunch of receivers, so they're going to have to rely on those running backs, but I think they will. They'll do it, and they will house Vanderbilt and open up this season in a big, big way. They will beat Vanderbilt. The spread's 30 and a half. I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't think Vanderbilt's going to be that good, but I just can't give A&M that many points. So I'm going to give Vanderbilt the cover to get barely inside that. It could be 56-28. That gets underneath the 30 and a half. I think it could be 49-21. Again, that's under the 30 and a half. So let's give AM the win, Vanderbilt the cover, and we will see how I did next week on episode three of the Football with Friends podcast. A big thanks to Dane Brugler, to all of you for listening, to my wife for getting this podcast up and ready for you guys, the Lone Star Sports Entertainment. Again, this is the Football with Friends podcast in partnership with the Texas Bowl. So i got to thank my man David Fletcher, Carly Boatwright for helping out as well. You guys are the best. We'll see you next time on Episode 3 of Football with Friends, the Football Takeover Podcast.